Hey folks, it's me, John, thanking you for listening to another episode, yes, another episode, of the Soft Searching Podcast here on the FYIZ podcast feed. Uh, This time, my friends Becca Eaton and Jonathan Eaton are back to help me break down the events of the most recent Better Call Saul. Uh, That was the 11th of 13 episodes in the sixth and final season of the show, Uh, and this one was called Breaking Bad. It was written and directed by Thomas Schnauz, who has written 20 or so episodes of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul combined. So he's a guy who knows these characters very well. Let's get to it. Here's Saul Searching. Hello, Becca. Hello. Hello, Jonathan. Oh, hi. It's so nice having you back on Soul Searching uh, to help me, especially with this episode, which is um, very momentous, at least in the sense that whether you were one of those fans, it seems like about half the fans of Better Call Saul were waiting to see what happens when Walt and Jesse pop up in this world. And the other half of which I was uh, a proud member, uh, I wasn't so much clamoring for it, but I was very much open to the possibility of them doing something cool with it. And now we know how they did it. Uh, We've seen Walt and Jesse on Better Call Saul in an episode that is called Breaking Bad, which is a kind of throwback reference to the fact that when when Saul Goodman first appeared on Breaking Bad, it was in an episode called Better Call Saul. So not only is that clever, but it also connects this episode to the events of that episode, Better Call Saul, very closely, which is, you know, kind of where in the timeline it, it deposits us. It's interesting because we also just restarted watching Breaking Bad. <laughs> so we're like six episodes into Breaking Bad now. Um, we're not like, I think Saul comes in in season two. So we're not even like uh, near where uh, Bob Odenkirk shows up. So it was just interesting having like started rewatching that. And then this episode is the episode that Walt and Jesse cameo in. Um but there's a lot there's a lot going on in this one right off the bat i didn't listen to your last episode of soul searching but you did yeah and you told me about the phone call yes. that francesca was supposed to uh receive which if john you hadn't sent us that clip i would not have gotten that scene as much as I did. Yeah, that was really gratifying uh, for me too, because I had just been obsessing over that detail. (laughs) So it really did feel like I had prepped myself uh, so that when they showed Francesca in this episode and we were seeing her in black and white, I got like so giddy. Um, And it, it, you know, even in kind of a meta sense, it was a cool reveal that, oh, it's not just Gene's world in Omaha that it's drained of color. It's like <laughs> this whole piece of the timeline is represented in this uh, classic film black and white look. Yeah. Also, I liked how uh, even though Gene um, and Francesca's interaction was complex and had all these little ebbs and flows and, uh, you know, sort of underlying meanings to it, um, I, I also enjoyed how much the purpose of the phone call itself was relatively simple. It really was just Saul setting a date at which he would get some information, kind of the lay of the land from Francesca, who um, who he trusts, you know, even though there seems to be no love lost there. Well, yeah, and it shows that he was planning to check in. He was, he's planning to, 
I don't know if he wants to leave again. And that's what I was kind of talking to you about when we were watching it. Yeah. I don't know if he wants to do another life reset or get all this money so he can go out on his own and not have to be Gene, but not be in, you know, this setup scenario set up by somebody else. Um, but he's obviously not playing by the rules, I'm assuming, of um, the life erasure restart. Oh, yeah. Unofficial Robert witness Forrester. protection. Yeah. You know, he he already was thinking like, I'm going to check back in. I'm going to see how things are. I'm, I'm going to have some person back in the real world that I can contact and be able to see if there's still heat on people and what's going on with everybody and check in. He's just always thinking ahead. <laughs> and the news was pretty much all bad on that front. <laughs> yeah. I love how unvarnished she is with him just in general. And that to the last seconds of this phone call, she's like giving him this base level of humanity and maybe a, a certain amount of pity or sympathy or something. But that she has, like, I just love that the writers have never copped out on her character and made her warm up towards him because we're even more charmed by him than she is. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. yeah. She just hangs up on him. <laughs> but it's him trying to reach out and have a human moment with somebody, which is increasingly, I think, a sad theme of this story, is that he has nobody that he can be himself with. Yeah. The the most interesting about this whole episode, and I, I guess it's like super jumping ahead to the end of the episode, but I, I was thinking the most interesting thing about this episode, and it did a lot, like, I knew, you know, we knew Walt and Jesse were going to be in this season somehow. And I was kind of hoping it would be, I was definitely hoping it would be the way it is, it, it, it happened, where it wasn't a pivotal thing. It was just like a glimpse, and it was a cameo. And it wasn't even that their cameo was super necessary to have in the show, but it's like the way they made this episode. It, it was very, it was crazy, uh, um, like, comparing the two things. Like, the episode's called Breaking Bad. You're watching him meet Walt and Jesse for the first time. Then you're watching him basically create a new Walt and Jesse in the Gene timeline with those two guys that he's taken along with him to, like, do the stuff. He's obviously, like, wanting the Saul life back. And, like, they the way they kept faster and faster, like, cutting back and forth between Gene and Saul got really, like, depressing and dreadful towards the end. Because it was just like, you're just creating the same situation. Like, yeah. And like watching him walk into what would end up being like a horrible time in his life. Yeah. Um, like a moment that's going to change everything to go and talk to Wald and do whatever he does. I don't remember. We need to catch up. I don't Breaking remember Back. either. Yeah. Exactly what happens with that. But. Um, watching him walk into that scenario and knowing how much is going to change for him for the worse. And then and as we're cutting worse, yeah. to watching him walk into that house, which I know is going to go so fucking badly. Yeah, there's no way it could go well. <laughs> Once you've broken into someone's house, it's like if he does have a change of heart, it's too late. You yeah. know, he had like the chance at the bar to have the change of heart. Yeah. yeah. He had the chance. I mean, when, when the guy's saying, I can't do this, and even the guys in the, like, Jeffy's kind of like Jeffy. under 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 Gene's spell. There's almost like a childlike simplicity to Jeff compared to Buddy, who was like, have, his conscience was, was saying like, we just don't do this one. Like, we're fine. Let's just not do this one. I do like how much like when Jeff was first introduced as the sinister cab driver who recognizes him he seems really threatening and now that you've gotten to know him a little bit 
You're just like you are very unthreatening. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, it's a different actor, so it's a different vibe. Oh, is it a different actor? Oh yeah, totally. Oh, Pat Healy, the guy who plays him now, is a is a. I mean, you know, he's he's just a slightly different character. The the other guy was more of a. The guy, you see him pop up in kind of tough guy roles and stuff. Okay. And he did have a little bit more of a threatening air to him. But it wasn't that at all. It's like Jeff would have been fine. These people would be fine if you just left them alone. And it makes it makes Gene's break bad seem so much more sinister. And, and something we were talking about while we were watching Breaking Bad earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were talking about, what was it, when Mike was saying some? Was it Mike that was saying something to Kim about... Um, Jimmy can't help himself. Uh, it was Chuck. Or Chuck. Okay, Chuck yeah. was saying that to Kim, that Jimmy can't help himself. Um, and I was like, well, Kim was very much the same in a lot of ways. Kim couldn't help herself either. Yeah. Right. And then we're coming back and we're seeing it again with Gene. <laughs> like, wait, right. which person is it? Gene, we're seeing he really is this different amalgamation. It's like, it's, it's post-Saul. It's like wounded, bitter Saul with all the pathos we now attach to Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's got this, you keep wanting to see him do the right thing. Just just glimmer of that Jimmy, just a jimmer. Uh, of the, <laughs> but there's a, there's this hubris to Saul slash Gene mm-hmm. that we maybe didn't sense before he got broken. I guess that's when Kim left his life, that he became this bitter, like, fuck the world guy who mm-hmm. actually does think, no, I'm not going to listen to what anybody, anybody who says don't do it, I, it makes me... Th- try to figure out a way to do it, you know? Yeah. And it, when he had that moment in the bar with the guy with cancer, I don't know how you felt, but it felt so obvious to me that, like, well, Jimmy wouldn't, Jimmy's not going to fuck with him. Yeah. Right. And even when he put him in the cab, I was like, oh, that's probably not the real cab. I thought he, the same thing. He must have called another cab to get this guy home, and he's going to tell the guy, like, nope, we're not doing this one. And I really felt that that was so obvious that Jimmy wouldn't do that. Yeah. But yeah. we're not talking about Jimmy anymore. We're talking about Gene and Gene would absolutely do that. And he will Ooh. not rest until that guy is robbed as fuck. Especially after whatever the fuck phone call he had. With Kim. With Kim. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. We with with maybe Kim. Yeah, well it's kept deliberately vague, isn't it? Like whether he talks to Kim or whether he just talks to somebody who who uh either, I don't know, stops him from reaching Kim or tells him something about Kim that he doesn't like, um, we don't know. And we're not meant to know yet. Uh, But whatever he hears on that phone call, uh, it seems to give him the excuse to just throw himself headlong into this mean gene persona. I love the slow progression of him picking back up the Saul-isms, like ordering the weird leg massager thing. (laughs) Leg jiggler. Using the Bluetooth earpiece like he's just and his slowly, little pinky ring and his pinky ring he's just like slowly pulling these things out of storage and like putting them back on yeah i don't i mean i don't love it like it's good it's depressing as shit but yeah. <laughs> it's just it's good a, good tv it's a good tv yeah i think i read something today where someone was saying like the what made him mad was like someone on the phone probably said kim's dead which i think is stupid like I don't think Kim's well, dead, and he I need wouldn't to watch be mad it again. Yeah, that. he seemed more mad than sad. Yeah, he was, and I just I want to watch it again. Yeah, because that's what I'm remembering. I mean, it was only yesterday, but still. Yeah. Well, for one thing, what was it? Titusville sprinklers. That doesn't sound that different to me from like best quality vacuum. So maybe Kim's business was a was a front for something. Um, but I also agree that it doesn't seem to me right that 
the news would be that Kim was dead on the phone. That just doesn't seem like the way they would treat her character. And beyond that, if she is or was ever in Titusville, Florida, um, which we don't really know how recent that information is, Mm -hmm. uh, it's possible that, you know, Saul has sort of kept some general sense of where Kim is, but it doesn't really sound like they've been in that much touch. So maybe, maybe he doesn't know, but, but either way, it just tells me that if she ever was in Florida, that, you know, after she broke up with Jimmy, she got about as far away from Albuquerque or her hometown as she could. I was yeah, just going to ask you, as as the Saul historian, um, if she had ties to Florida, because I just don't remember. She didn't. I think the point is to show that she didn't, like, as many people have been pointing out, myself included, that, like, she's actually from a place that's not far from where Jean is. That still may pan out, but the fact that they've thrown this Florida thing in there just tells you that... They're either aware of that and wanting us to forget about where she's from, <laughs> or they are trying to say, nope, it's not that simple. You know, that yeah, it's not, yeah. it's just because we set it up doesn't mean we have to connect that dot. Yeah. yeah. And an even bigger question for me is like, if there is a rift with Kim, uh, how is he ever going to repair it if he's taken this, this, this turn that he's taken? Because let's face it, this current gene scam is um, one of the darkest ones he's come up with. Yeah. There's just something about setting someone up to be so vulnerable. You're drugging them. Much more mean-spirited than bringing a cinnamon bun to a a, a friendly security guard, even though that was a crime, too. Well, yeah, they were stealing from a company, Mm -hmm. you know, and now they're literally just... Stealing identities. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It feels grosser than any of the scams he's pulled before. Like, even... even... Minus Howard. Oh, well, yeah. Howard was... I feel like the turning point. Well, that one crosses the line too, though, because of all the, it's like the, the way they sort of take over his body on, on a certain level by like making him look like he's on drugs. It's the similar thing with the, the people that are being drugged with the water in the cab. It's like, that's that little shade further that makes it like, okay, now you're, I mean, in terms of victimless crimes, okay, you're still not really hurting the person. But in terms of just the creepiness of what you're doing, mm-hmm. it's a much creepier like thing to do to somebody. And of course they think they're doing this Robin Hood thing by picking, you know, rich venture capitalists or whatever. And I, you know, again, there's that aspect to anything that Jimmy does where he tells himself that he's somehow screwing the the big guy. Well, yeah, but like, is he trying to fuck those guys over because he hates venture capitalists or (laughs) because he wants money or because he has a compulsion and has to fuck with somebody at all times? I think all of those are kind of the same thing for for him. So I think all of those are a yes. Like, I think that he is telling himself that these guys are, these guys deserve it because they're rich assholes. And then he's, the rest of it is everything else you said, where it's like, he's got this taste for it. He's this wolf now who feels like this is the only thrill in life. If I had to guess, I would, I think it's more than anything, it's the compulsion. I think, because that's what we've seen from him this entire time in this show is this compulsion no matter how hard he tries to get away from it, he ends up doing it again. And it really, like, it's basically a drug. Like, it's the same thing as just, like, in Breaking Bad showing, like, people, you know, them in the drug trade and, like, people who are addicted to drugs. I think Jimmy's just addicted to, like, winning in this gross way of, of basically conning people. But, like, it's his thing. Like, it's I think it's the only thing that, like, gives him the most adrenaline and that's why in the last two episodes specifically we've seen him slip back into it so fast it's just like watching someone like fall off the wagon <laughs> well they've even said that they they try to treat it like an addiction thing like you know the season opened i think the first episode of the season was called wine and roses mm-hmm. 
and it used that song, The Days of Wine and Roses, and that old movie is about alcoholics kind of bottoming out together. And they said that they specifically treated Jimmy and Kim's relationship that way of like the sort of slipping Kimmy and slipping Jimmy sort of thing they had going that was like that that drug is of, of exactly what it is that that Gene's yeah. giving into. I don't think he's planning on really settling into his life as Gene and just finding a way to be happy as Gene. Yeah. I don't think that was ever on the table. No. A few weeks ago, I would have thought it was strange to picture him going down Walter White style at the end of this story. But I feel like they've gotten me to a place now where I can imagine in two episodes, if he keeps going for his worst impulses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't look pretty for him. And I don't really know what he could salvage at this point or what's even there to be salvaged in his life if he doesn't continue to get worse. The now. only thing possible is like the idea of Kim and we don't even know what's going on there. Right. What if he gets arrested in the next episode and then Kim is his defense attorney? <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. I'm sure it's not what's gonna happen. I only just had that thought. <laughs> that's like such a trope for a show to end with a trial. Like how many shows have end- ended with like a trial? Bad shows. Bad. Seinfeld or bad endings. Seinfeld, X-Files, I'm sure. Probably Night Court. (laughs) Well, that's inevitable. (laughs) It's a pretty chilling moment for me when... um, they parallel Gene deciding to go ahead and break into the house of the latest target um, with with Saul deciding to go after Walt aggressively as a client. I mean, in both cases, you know, um, and in fact, Mike is there in the Breaking Bad days to sort of try to warn Saul against it. But it's like, in both cases, you're, you're exploiting someone who you know is ill. But then we see him say, like, just because you have cancer doesn't mean you're not an asshole yeah, or he, something. Yeah, I was thinking that, And too. he just turns around. He, We're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he did see Walt be a huge raging asshole. Yeah. So he, I guess, wouldn't have the sympathy you would think a normal human would have for someone else with a life-threatening disease. Because we thought he would relate on the level of someone with cancer. Doesn't deserve. Doesn't deserve uh, yeah. to be robbed. And he's like, someone with cancer doesn't get a free pass because fuck Walt. Yeah, exactly. Someone with cancer don't just assume they're totally cool. They might yeah. be a fucking monster. Like this other guy I knew <laughs> who had cancer. Yeah. It's like he's got a history of not letting cancer stop him <laughs> from from treating someone like they're oh, just another God. another dupe, you know? So yeah. it's like, it, it doesn't quite make you feel sorry for Walt, but it does make you realize that what Mike is kind of trying to tell Saul is not just... Stay away from this guy. He seems unstable and this is a crazy situation, but also like he's dying of cancer. Yeah. Well, I feel like one of the craziest things this episode and like Better Call Saul as an entire show has done happened in this episode, which was show you like it's kind of it's a bit of a retcon if you like want to call it that way. But I don't think it's a retcon in a bad way, but it's it's you've seen up until this point Better Call Saul that Jimmy's like the worst um, a factor in everyone's lives that he's involved in. Like ev- everyone he has a relationship suffers because of him, because of his compulsions, because he can't help it. So it's like he he can't help himself. He does these things. It ruins people's lives. It got Howard murdered. Uh, yeah. It pushed Kim away entirely. Like it drove his brother to suicide. Drove his brother yeah. to suicide. We've already seen 
Jimmy do these things. Hey, that other lawyer that he knew got a, bu- a bench ad. Yeah, but he's a so defense attorney he's, now. <laughs> but he's successful enough to have a bench ad. That was such a great payoff to the overall sort of story of Oakley that we've gotten throughout this show. He's always been there to kind of be like an adversary to Jimmy or Saul, but also to be a, um, you know, sometimes he's got a touch of envy, it seems, for for Jimmy's uh, free agent status. Um, so the fact that he's now the Albuquerque area's new um, lawyer with a slogan on a bench, um, and he's a defense attorney now, that's just kind of perfect. Yeah. Some of his scenes are fresh on my mind right now because we've been rewatching Better Call Saul. You mentioned you're rewatching Breaking Bad. Watching the earlier Better Call Saul episodes really gives you all these, we're about two seasons in right now. So it's like Jimmy has just changed the address on the Mesa Verde forms that are in Chuck's house. Like he's just done that because he thinks Chuck is responsible for the like the HHM stealing. It's it's a whole Mesa Verde thing going back and forth between Kim and, and HHM. And uh, he blames Chuck for this. So he does this vindictive thing. And we see how he has a moment of like, the next morning, Chuck's being nice to him and appreciating that he's watching over him and stuff. And Jimmy has this moment of looking over at the boxes. And it's like, you realize how many times on the show we've seen Jimmy, like the moment where he realizes what he's doing is bad. Yeah. And where he goes like, (sighs) and just kind of goes on about his business. And like, that's a pretty crazy trait for them to be like really hammering in the way they are right now. It's hard to picture what anything could be that would turn his head back in the right direction. Yeah, I don't, I, I, and I don't know. It's interesting because we just restarted watching Breaking Bad. So I don't know if I would think this much about it if we hadn't also, but it's like the fact that they showed you so much of the, the early Breaking Bad Saul relationship in this episode we're watching the beginning of Breaking Bad, which is crazy because even in the first, like, six episodes, Walt and Jesse are given multiple chances to stop and walk away. And they literally each do a couple times. And it's just, it's crazy to watch the early episodes of Breaking Bad thinking, like, they might not have kept doing what they did and then things would be fine and not all these people would die. But they they kept coming back together and they kept cooking meth and they kept doing the stuff. And then watching that episode of Better Call Saul, where you see him go completely against Mike and Gus's wishes to basically recruit Walt and Jesse. It's like, if he hadn't done that, it might have been fine. It might not have been, but like, maybe it wouldn't have been this whole huge, horrible thing with so many deaths. And it's it's crazy to think that Saul did have an actual active hand in everything that happened, even if like... It's not that direct. He's the person that set into motion uh, a chain of events. But we're also talking about Mike and Gus. They're, part of their relationship is like helping each other kill the right people to keep their operation running. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, so I think that like, um, it's always funny when it's like, yeah, if they would just listen to Gus, everything would be fine. It's like, yeah, fine, if that's what you want. <laughs> yeah, if you're on Gus's side. I, so so do you think the show is heading towards grimness, or do you think that's not really the show you've been... That as grim as, and honest as they're being about, like, human nature, that ultimately the point of this show will be to give us, like, a clever story? Or do you think it's just a march towards consequences at this point? Because that doesn't really feel like the show I've been watching, but... There's only two hours left and, you know, (laughs) they don't have to fill that much time. Yeah, that's what I thought originally was, I I don't know, something at least halfway decent or redeeming or 
something will happen. And now to be so close to the end and have it be at this like really intensely bad point in all storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, re- I hope that it isn't just like one big depression fest. I hope there's something. Yeah. Some kind of something redeeming at the end. Yeah. Well, and we were just talking about this recently. Like this show hasn't, the show's not depressing. I mean, like there's parts to it that are sad, but this show isn't like you were calling Breaking Bad tragedy porn. Well, like I just, well, and I need to watch more of it again because I'd only ever seen it once. But so yeah. far, it's just like one fucking really bad thing after another. And they just have the DEA on them immediately <laughs> and are in everyone's bad graces at all moments. Yeah. Where I feel like there were a lot of moments in Better Call Saul that felt hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just felt like a really, really huge difference was how hopeful some things felt. And even if it's just somebody's attitude towards someone else in their life or how someone's relationship is going, um, not even so much like, is Jimmy going to win this case <laughs> of whatever, but just like hopeful for people's like, like, uh, you know, I don't know, emotional, mental yeah. states and, and and their lives where uh, Breaking Bad, I feel like doesn't feel hopeful well, almost yeah. ever. But I, I, I need to watch more to confirm that theory. Um, but no, that's I, how I'm feeling. I think you're correct. I think you're right. I think <laughs> no, I you're to- I think you're totally right. <laughs> like Breaking Bad's never hopeful. Breaking Bad is bad things happening constantly. And it's and it's great TV because you're like, how the fuck could this keep going? And then it does. I, I never... I don't think Better Call Saul has ever felt like that. And I don't think they're going to do that in the next two episodes. I don't think they're going to fall into like a Breaking Bad. Um, uh, this episode uh, felt a lot like that, though. It did. But like it was also called Breaking Bad. So I wonder if it was a misdirect. I really I don't think the show because we've already seen Breaking Bad. We know how that ends. I I feel like I don't think this show will end the same way, same exact way. I think my personal theory, now that like we've seen this last episode and I've had a day to think about it, I think Saul's going to go to jail. I think J- I think Jimmy, Saul, Gene, I think he's going to go to jail. And the only reason I think that is because of the conversation you had with Francesca, where I realized no one went to jail. No one yeah. got caught for any yeah. of this. Walt died. Jesse got away. Everyone else is dead. Everyone else is dead. Like... Skyler was fine. Skyler made a deal. Yeah. Like, no one has paid for the sins yeah. <laughs> of both shows. And I really think, like, I think Saul will will do that. And I think it'll be maybe, like, a selfless act eventually. And I'm really hoping that we get, like, a scene with him and Kim. Maybe that doesn't feel end. good, though. Oh, I don't think yeah. it's going to feel good. That doesn't make me happy. I don't think it's going to be a happy ending. <laughs> I think it's going to be a very poignant Mm-hmm. ending i could see them making him i could i could see them going there and making it work it's like you're sitting here going there should be some kind of comeuppance and i i had already thought like he's gotten his comeuppance that's the thing i think about mm. seeing gene 
Break Bad that's so depressing is that we thought that Gene that was sitting in this little sad apartment and going to this job that he's not interested in, we thought that his comeuppance was soaking in that. But the fact that he's like so readily broken out of that, Mm -hmm. it has you thinking about like the fact that, oh yeah, six or seven months ago, he was Saul Goodman with, with all this money coming in, sitting in the office and all that, the cartoon character Saul Goodman. He has, he's, he's not been living this life that long. I mean, yeah. the wait from like April to November before he could call Francesca, that's that's a that's a long wait. It's not as long as we've been watching the show though. <laughs> well, right. It's not not nearly as long as we've been watching the show. No, honestly, that's that's the that's the reason why I tried to tease out the timeline so much in the last episode was trying to figure out like where have those big time jumps been. Well, and Breaking Bad I think is five seasons that takes place in a year. In, in two years. Is it well, two years or it's is it a one year, year? It's a it's two years, but there remember. is also a time jump in that show when he goes away. At the very end, yeah. And and but and then comes back. So there's yeah. like a maybe a few months, maybe a half a year or something. So it's about a year and a half of and then, and then a time jump. It's still yeah, a crazy amount of shit to like happen. And very like, decompressed yeah. storytelling in that sense. And I think that this show has crept along in that. Like if you look at the, the, there's a site that shows you like the days that episodes take place over and the dates. And some episodes are like two days, two days, two days, three days, four days. And then there'll <laughs> be like three weeks in, within an episode. Yeah. But there aren't that many big time jumps in that time. time. And, and so th- it's like, it's only a little bit unrealistic sometimes if you look at an episode and see everything they do within one of those montages and you realize, oh, that was supposed to take place in a week, yeah. but it felt like it could have been over a month. You know, some of these scams they do, you could believe that that was like a month's worth of scamming, but I think it's probably just a few days of, yeah. of what they're doing. It, it makes me think of um, Lost only in like the timeline because of like, I think at a certain point, I think it was like maybe season four of Lost when they get off the island and I'm like, those first three seasons was like 40 days. Those first three, it was like two and yeah. a half months. And it's, it's, it's fun when a show does that where you're watching it for years, but really what you're watching is super duper condensed and everything is only taking place within like several weeks or months or whatever. Anyway. Well, think about where they broke the season. That, that was the last day of Howard's life. Mm-hmm. And then he gets killed at their apartment. And then the next episode basically takes place overnight that night with Lalo and Gus and everything. Mm, And then the next episode picks up with them the next morning and shows them going about their business. So that's like a three episode span that really covers like a 24 hour period. (laughs) Anyway, there's a a lot of things they do. I I just think it's interesting to note that the distance between Gene and Saul Goodman at the height of Heisenberg – um, or at the whatever that moment of decline mm-hmm. was before everyone had to leave town, um, that that time distance is not as long as the time distance covered in that montage uh, in the middle of season four, where it takes them through nine months of their lives uh, as as Kim becomes Mesa Verde's big lawyer and Jimmy becomes you know the guy who sells cell phones to criminals. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Me too. Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to finish watching Breaking Bad, then we're going to start Better Call Saul yes. over again. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the best bits of filmmaking I've ever seen, because it uses the split screen, and it shows how they're kind of in sync, you know, brushing their teeth at the same time, and then gradually uh, it's getting to the point where she's, that, like, yeah. getting her name engraved on her door, and he's getting, like, the box of crappy-looking cards that say, <laughs> if you want a cell phone, call Saul, or whatever oh, it says. Yeah. Like, the contrast between her being on the rise professionally and him basically waiting out his year that he can't practice law 
doing, you know, shady stuff. That is a longer time span than the time span between the end of Breaking Bad and where Gene is now. That's crazy. Part of what makes it feel so crazy is that they've created such a distinct visual language for the Gene section of the story versus the the Breaking Bad or just anything that came before. Um, which, which reminds me, I, I loved how it was... At the beginning of this episode, not only were you looking through some kind of bag or something, and so you kind of knew what moment you were in, but also the fact that uh, we've been using Gene in these black and white cold opens for the first five seasons of the show. And now that we're in the black and white Gene timeline, the cold open is a color <laughs> cold open. A color, yeah. That flashes back to Breaking Bad. I mean, it was just sort of like the cleverness of it was kind of knocking me on my ass in that sense. Yeah. But I also thought just saying, yeah, it is kind of interesting to think, okay, after that scene where he talks them out of killing him, or thinks he talks them out of killing him, and but basically takes them on as clients, and Saul is now working with Walt and Jesse, yeah, they did have to then drive back, you know? It's not <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So I do think it's funny to say, like, what was that next moment like? And they could kind of finally pay off the final Lalo reference by having Jesse be like, what was that you were saying? Yeah. And what I like is that now we see Saul, sleazy Saul, who just, you know, did what he did. We see him thinking for a second about what we know he's, like, Jimmy is inside him mm -hmm. thinking about what happened with Lalo and that night. And he's like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. That's the way Saul plays it off. But we, we know that... We now know that Saul has this memory that before he didn't have when he was talking to Walton Jesse. I don't know. Yeah. I think that in that sense, the show did a good job of like knitting it together in a way that made sense psychologically, that it really was a scene about Saul, but Walton Jesse were there. They didn't try to like create a pivotal moment in the Heisenberg story that we didn't get to see. Yeah. Um, they just said, oh, for this moment. And I, I loved the way we were seeing the sort of pre, you know, pre, uh, uh, like, winner, like Walt's still kind of a, a bitter loser and he was being kind of snipey with Jesse. Later he's a bit more gruff and mean. It was a it was interesting seeing him at that state where he hasn't quite become like the ascendant form of Walt. Yeah, I can't really remember what he's like later in the season. So where where we're watching it now felt very much like just picking it back up with the Walt and Jesse that we saw. Yeah. Um in that up in this last episode of Better Call Saul. Yeah, they're like bantering back and forth. Really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um Saul calls them Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> yeah. It's just like fun, like seeing a little bit more of that banter that they had. I loved his banter with Mike too. I thought it was really funny the way Saul yeah. was so so yeah. mean to Mike, and Mike just doesn't doesn't humor Saul at all. You know, it's, well, it's it was a funny at, at least nice and a little fun to see like Mike more animated the way we see him in like Breaking Bad, where he's not so fucking sad yeah. <laughs> that he's yeah. been in Better Call Saul. The last time we saw him was talking to Nacho's dad, and I literally said the other day, I was like, I really hope that's not the last time we see Mike in the show because it was such a bummer. Like it it. It was good, but it was sad as shit. No, that was great. I mean, I think that those actors know how to play those characters. And that that's why that was so, like, that was the only reason why that was tantalizing was because you knew they wouldn't screw it up. Mm -hmm. Or at least they wouldn't do anything that felt like um, cheap compared to... Just the, I mean, I don't know. They've done these other could be stunt casty things with this show, and they've brought up people, and they've had people get mentioned. Um, you know that you just think, oh, they're going to do this. Is it always going to be just cameo corner? And it, it hasn't been. Well, even Carol Barnett, I keep forgetting that's her. Yeah. Like uh, the, when she first showed up, we were like, oh, and then yeah, immediately I'm just like, it's Jeffy's mom. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Carol Burnett, I, I just coincidentally watched an episode of Better Call Saul uh, in our rewatch um, that had a reference 
in-universe to Carol Burnett, the entertainer. It was a, a season two episode called Rebecca. <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> yes, it's about you. Sorry. Oh, Chuck's wife, right? Uh, yes, oh. but it's a flashback to Chuck and Chuck's wife in Chuck's house before yeah. his problems flared up. They're like having dinner. I remember that. They're having dinner and he's preparing her for Jimmy coming over. And she's like, oh, well, how bad can he be? And he says, um, trust me, we might need a high sign you know, to get us out of trouble. Let's do the Carol Burnett thing. And she says, oh, you mean when you tug on your ear? Because Carol Burnett at the end of her show every night, when she would say, all right, good night, everybody. And she would tug her ear. That would be like a signal to her grandmother. Oh, oh my God. I was on the Paul Winchell Kitty TV show, and I debuted that on uh, December 17, 1955, I think. And uh, I remember my grandmother, I called her to tell her I was going to be on this show. And she said, well, say hello to me. And I said, Nanny, they're not going to let me say hello to you on television. I didn't. But I had some friends who would pull their ear for their son, their little boy, whenever they were on television. They were a dance team. And I said, Nanny, I'll pull my ear for you. So that's when that started. I just kind of casually do that. And that was hello to her. And I did that ever since. Uh, every time I was on TV, I'd find a place to do this when I was on camera so that she would know I was thinking of her. Later in the scene, Jimmy has started telling lawyer jokes and, and Rebecca's laughing and telling lawyer jokes too. And Chuck gets up and is like, well, I'll go get the blueberry crumble. And he's kind of standing there and he starts tugging on his earlobe, but Rebecca doesn't notice that he's doing it and he just leaves the room. And then later in bed, he tries to tell a lawyer joke and it just doesn't land like, uh, and Rebecca's like, oh, huh, yeah, I guess that is pretty funny, you know? And it's bothering Chuck so much that it's like, and that's where you see the kind of flaw of Chuck is like, it's, you, you don't blame Chuck for a lot of his feelings about Jimmy. Because Jimmy has been like, just like you were saying, Jonathan, Chuck's another person who says, you know, I watched him kind of destroy our parents, you know, and yet they always loved him. He was the funny one, you know, and just that that's what bothers Chuck the most is not that he and Jimmy are different, but that he can't do what Jimmy, like he's jealous of the one thing Jimmy can mm -hmm. do that he can't, like he's successful and rich and respected and all these things that Jimmy's not. But the one thing Jimmy can do is like be, work with people, you know, and make them laugh. Yeah. And Chuck can't do that. And so he do, like never forgives Jimmy for it. Like it's a through line in his character that he is hung up on that idea of like, why do people like him so much, you know? Or like having that family member that's like a fuck up and to know it, but then other people don't know it. And it's, it's the type of thing where like, you know, I've got a cousin that uh, we've had, like, you know, there's history in the family. And it's like, I know it, but a brand new person coming into the situation isn't. And it's going to, like, piss me off that but they the don't. the difference is that he is not <laughs> beloved. He's well, not going to charm people over no, no, and no. swindle them into there is thinking definitely he's awesome. no charm. But it's still, <laughs> I feel like that, that, I think, can go into it where, like, as a family member, you can, like... If yeah, you can negative. be like, I know, I know all the history, yeah. and you don't know it, and like, then it kind of feels like a little gaslighty mm -hmm. to try to feel like you have to prove like they did all this. 
stuff to me when I was young. You'll yeah. never understand. Have you ever sat there and waited for somebody to figure out the truth about somebody else? And then when they finally realize it, you're like, come here, come here. Yeah. And it can like, <laughs> or it can even like just piss you off to just be like, like, yeah, just you believe me. Yeah. <laughs> believe me when I tell you. <laughs> well, and speaking of Chuck, this episode had some karaoke in it. And oh, I don't know I if that, about that mattered at all. Yeah. I just feel like everything matters on this show. But it made me think of Chuck in that moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I feel like we're supposed to be kind of thinking about Chuck all the time as we examine Jimmy's story. And yeah, the karaoke connection, like we know that Gene has that memory in his head of of the scene we remember of Chuck doing karaoke. So it's like, of course, of course, it's related in a strange way, even though the dramatic purpose of the karaoke is different. Um, I also just really like how Chuck was such a complex character that anytime we think about him, we are both reminded how he sort of saw Jimmy for who he was and tried to push Jimmy in the right direction, and how he also, by not really believing in Jimmy, just completely sabotaged him. The same way that Jimmy can't help himself, like Chuck also couldn't help himself in a very different way, but like he was given so many chances to like let bygones be bygones and not fuck Jimmy over, and he always did. Every single time he held Jimmy down and he held him back. And we've still never seen Jimmy tell anybody that the last thing Chuck ever said to him was, uh, you know, you've never mattered that much to me. Oh, God, I forgot. I, don't, I was going to say, I don't remember that. I'm dreading rewatching that. And then Jimmy leaves, and that's, the, I think, the night that Chuck kills himself. But, I mean, he's never played that. What he did was lash out at Howard and say, yeah, it is all your fault. Because remember, Howard came over there saying, I think I feel like it's my fault. I pushed him too hard. And then Jimmy's like, yep, it is your fault. You should feel bad. Oh, God. How can, how can these shows oh, make you Jimmy. hate characters so much and then feel bad when they die? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just kind of dizzying. If you think about all the carnage in his wake, and then you think about how he still sort of has our sympathies for some reason, and then you add that to the fact that he seems like he's the last person who can like pay for this legally, and then you see that he's making all of these bad decisions. <laughs> it's it's kind of migraine-inducing to care about this guy. And this moment that we've left the episode on, it's... I. I have a hard time imagining how it's going to go well at all. Like, this is one of the moments where in Breaking Bad, I'm like, of course it's terrible. Everything's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Because I just have this feeling, and I'm always, or I don't know. I don't know if I'm always wrong about what happens on this show, but probably mostly wrong. When he drove, when when Jeffy drove him up to the house and said, this is the one, in my brain, I was like, is it though? <laughs> because... Gene doesn't know. Oh, yeah. He shit. could be sending him up to break into someone else's house. Yeah. And he's going to fucking drive away. Interesting. You know, so I just uh, am only thinking of like terrible outcomes and not like any way that this could turn around for the better. Yeah. But I hope I'm wrong. But I definitely had that thought. I'm like, he doesn't know this is the house. Yeah. Uh, I already said my theory, which is I think he goes to jail or at least gets caught. Yeah. Because that's the other thing is like, who knows? Maybe he can, maybe he pulls some crazy shit and talks himself into some sort of out or deal or, you know, they well, throw some lawyer. What else give up? He's the last one. I don't know, but he's also a lawyer. Like, and a, he's a really good lawyer. There's just so much that has built up until this point. Yeah. Where, you know, at various moments throughout the show, he might have been able to talk his way out. I, it's just that it's like two entire series full yeah. now of shenanigans <laughs> to fall on one person left. Yeah. I don't know. 
weaseling out might be his superpower. So that maybe there's some way that he does that. But I, I think that what you're saying, Becca, is 100% right too, that like he's added too many new crimes to his docket. <laughs> but at this point, he's clearly a career criminal. And it's not even everything he's done. It's the fact that, like you said, no one has really paid for everything that happened on Breaking Bad. Yeah. Right. Which well, is what Francesca I mean, tells him. Yeah. It's like, you're the most popular boy at the at the dance, kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're the only one left. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's going to be real interesting the next time we talk. I know. Yes. We're going to talk in two weeks. I, 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 should, I should go ahead and tell you that. I've, I've, uh, I've, you guys will be back for the, the last episode of the show in, in two weeks. So uh, um, what an honor. We, can, we can hopefully decompress then and just... <laughs> Maybe we'll just sit and stare at each other mm-hmm. for, for an hour. <laughs> but until then, where can people find you? Um, you can find us at cactusrodeo.com, cactusrodeo.com slash podcast. We've got a couple of shows, uh, Sketchy Show and Below Grade Level. And um, I've got comics you can read on Cactus Rodeo. You can follow us on Facebook. And we also have a sock puppet show called Pop Suck at Theater. And uh, season two of that is still coming along slowly, steadily, ever, <laughs> ever forward. Yeah, I think, I think, I that think that's it. Done. You got <laughs> it. Okay, I got I it. Get it. <laughs> what do they say in the political ads? I'm Becca Eaton and I approve this message. I approve this message. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, shit. It's my turn to sing. I'll be right back. <clears throat> There's a girl in this harbor town and she works laying whiskey down. They say brandy. Fetch another round, she serves him whiskey and wine. The sailor said, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. Yeah, your eyes steal a sailor from the sea. Alright, everybody, for more podcasts like this one, just subscribe to FYIZ wherever you get your shows. <laughs> a locket. That bears the name of the man that Brandy loved. He came on a summer's day bringing gifts. Not only does Jeff's friend Buddy have uh, more of a conscience, it seems, than Gene or Jeff, um, he also has the most well-behaved canine partner. Well, at one point I was like, man, that's a really good dog. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, he just sits there and sound. watches. You gotta love a good crime dog.